in the market of competition for these, you know, institutions' attention, you know, we, we got to fight back a little bit. Yeah. And we also got to keep pounding the message. Never accept the narrative that there's something wrong with the national anthem. Right. Don't accept these core premises, which they try to, you know, shove down your throat in all these, you know, broadcasts of NBA games. They want to scare us into silence. From the Heritage Foundation, I'm Tim Desher, and this is Heritage Explains. was Whitney Houston shaking the foundation of planet Earth as she sang the national anthem before Super Bowl 25 in 1991. After all these years, it is still a beautiful moment of national pride. You should check out the whole performance. I'll link to it in the show notes. But for decades, Sports have had this incredible ability to unite us, to instill hope, inspire dreams, and for a moment just before the play, recognize the nation that has enabled us to do all these things. In fact, I can trace some of my best memories back to particular sporting events. I'll never forget this moment just after Michael Jordan sunk the winning basket against the Utah Jazz in the 1998 NBA championship. Here comes Chicago, 17 seconds. 17 seconds from game seven or from championship number six. Jordan, open, Chicago with the lead. Or how about this moment from 2017 in Super Bowl 51 when, like it or not, Tom Brady further solidified his status as the best quarterback to ever play football when he led the Patriots to a 25-point comeback overtime victory. First and goal from the two. Toss away. And whether you saw this live or watched the movie, it's hard to forget the miracle on ice in 1980 when the underdog Team USA defeated the Soviet Union in the Winter Olympics. The puck is still loose. 11 seconds. You've got 10 seconds. The countdown going on right now. Morrow up to Schultz. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in 
days later, Team USA would go on to defeat Finland in the finals and win the gold medal. People stood up, and chants of USA, USA filled the arena. These seminal moments in American history had one thing in common. The players all stood for our national anthem. They all put aside politics and differences to rally around our incredible nation and pay a brief moment of tribute to the freedoms and liberties that enabled us to realize our hopes and dreams. But recently, we've seen a shift in most professional sports. Standing has turned into kneeling, and celebration has turned into protest. And it's not just from a few players. Entire teams have joined together to rally around the Black Lives Matter movement. Just as an example, here's a portion of what was played at the NBA opening ceremony just before the Utah Jazz and the New Orleans Pelicans took a knee during the national anthem. This is something that we've been dealing with for a long time. As a black man, I'm fed up, tired. I want change now. If you're an African-American and you can't even be safe in your own home, then where do you feel safe? We need to change people's hearts. It's a mindset. It goes beyond just what we see on camera. Enough is enough. So what does this mean for the national anthem before games and matches? Is kneeling now a standing order? Should we even play the national anthem before sports events? And what does this mean for sports in general? To address these questions, we talk with Mike Howell. He's a senior advisor in executive branch relations here at the Heritage Foundation. He's also a self-proclaimed sports junkie. This week, he explains what kneeling really represents and how we as a society must continue to stand, just as we did with Whitney Houston and for our favorite sports moments in the past. Mike, I was thinking as I was preparing for this interview, just what a great memory professional sports events have been in my life. And I was thinking about the very first professional sporting event that I attended. And it's it's a very, very vague memory, but it, it was my dad took my brother and I to um, a Tigers game at the old Tigers Stadium. And one of the memories that I have, I don't remember who they were playing. I don't remember, you know, if, you know, who hit a home run or whatever, but I do remember the national anthem. And I remember everybody saying, because I'd never experienced this before. And I remember the old school speakers in Tiger Stadium, which anybody who's been to an old stadium knows, you know, you can, it's all high end. There's no low end to it. It's all, it's, it's, it, it almost hurts your ears kind of to hear it, but I just remember the crowd becoming louder than the speakers. And what just what a special event that was to be there with, you know, my dad and my older brother and just thinking like, wow, this is 
there's something different here. There's more than a baseball game. Such a good man. T- tell me a little, just, I don't know if, if I, I know I asked you a little bit to think about this, but do you recall your first sporting event? Oh, man. First one? Have to be, a, I would think, a Redskins game. I'm not sure we can say that anymore. <laughs> but uh, I was a, a lifelong Redskins fan. I mean, yeah. we didn't win a whole lot, so the, the memories of the games weren't so great. But going with my dad and my brothers and sister and mom, incredible stuff. I mean, the National Anthem gives you the, the heebie-jeebies and the, and the, the tinglys. It's, it's great. Everyone's standing up, you know, coming together as one. And it's just everyone, whether you're a, the Cowboys fan or the Redskins fan, just – all paying your respects, getting ready for the the showdown on the gridiron. It's there's something to be said for that. Yeah, and, and even watching, you know, uh, as as we watch, you know, the last dance is, is on Netflix now. Um, you know, during during COVID, you know, you're watching all these great memories of the '90s and things like that, and you you definitely glamorize it, kind of a thing. But I never recall sports being so politicized. I'm trying to think here. You probably have followed sports more than I have, but can you recall a time where it's been more politicized? No, I, I can't, especially not in this regard. I think you'd have to go back in time a little bit. There's certainly been some individual actions. If you look at Muhammad Ali kind of speaking out against the war and all of his political activism, there's, yep. there's been a dosage of that. But where we are now is not that individual action. It's not like league-sponsored. And so I wouldn't even call it protest in this regard. It's not protest Uh, When you have the league telling you and encouraging you, you can do it. Hmm. It's not protest if you got corporate sponsors and, you know, everyone cheering you on. Nowadays, if if you're for the anthem, you're in the counterculture. I mean, you look at these games that are happening in the NBA or MLB, it's – you're in the minority if you're the one kneeling. So uh, I I don't even think that it's an apples-to-apples comparison with what's happened before. Yeah. So let's let's just talk a little bit about – the organizational structure here in in the current protests that are going on through professional sports events um, is this is this a mandate coming from the sporting team organization or is this kind of a just hey if you want to you can do this kind of thing? Well, it, it's a little different by sport. In no sport are they saying you have to kneel for the anthem. Okay, no, thankfully yeah. not yet at least. But um, in the NBA, you had this interesting thing where they came out with a list of, I think, like 20 or so approved messages that you could put on the back of your jersey Hmm. uh, to show your solidarity with the uh, BLM movement. And that's Black Lives Matter. That's Black Lives Matter. And they they range from things like education reform to equality to to say their name and and things like that. So there's kind of like this league-sponsored messaging. It's not like a free speech environment. I mean, you couldn't even put free Hong Kong on the back of your jersey if you as a fan wanted to buy one. Right, yeah, that you couldn't. That the NBA won't allow that for mm-hmm. you to put free Hong Kong, but they will allow you to put Black Lives Matter. Right. Wow. And, and so yeah. while it's not a mandate, the, the social pressure is absolutely immense to go along. I mean, if you want a future in the league and not to get canceled and not absolutely roasted by by all their players and to get along in the locker room, you at the very least have to submit to yeah. this in, in some fashion. Even the players who have chosen to stand for the anthem have largely cited their you know religious reasons for doing so, saying, mm-hmm. I only kneel before God. And while mm-hmm. that is a terrific reason to stand before the anthem, no one really is out there saying, I'm standing for the anthem because I love my country and the anthem's important. Yeah. That's how effective they've been at kind of just – scaring folks into obeying. And that's what it's all about. This is about uh, um, asserting your political agenda uh, and and looking for absolute submission. And there's nothing more submissive than taking a knee. So it's kind of just uh, really, really jarring how powerful they've become. I mean, the power peer pressure is so strong.
why don't we just take the path of least resistance and not have the national anthem during a sporting event? Yeah. Why not just why not just we don't have to worry about kneeling or or anything like that. You know, we don't have um, a, a, a stadium wide prayer before a game. So why do we need a national anthem? Why can't we just get rid of it? Right. Well, to, to that, I would say the national anthem is a, a great thing. This country is a great place. And now that we have this long tradition of honoring the country before the, the game, I think to depart from it for these unrelated reasons it would be an absolute travesty. I think this this country is deeply divided, and any chance that we have to to tie people together and remind them of our, our shared membership in this beautiful country is a great thing. And then I'll add as a secondary point, who's the constituency for not winning an anthem? If there was no anthem, there would be no kneeling during the anthem. So I don't even think like people, you know, kneeling want no anthem. But I want to say though, I mean, this anthem to some represents really, really deep hurtful, critical wounds in their life or in their upbringing. They associate that with America. And, you know, they say for you to do this, it is um, it's not being sensitive to me. It's not being sensitive to all the others that might feel the way that I feel. So, um, you know, we should add you know, another national anthem, you know, or, you know, I've heard things, you know, like the, the, the black national anthem kind of a thing. Um, is, is that a remedy for this at all? No, there, there's no other national anthem besides the national anthem. There's one national anthem for the purpose uh, of national unity. Yeah. And so I don't even give a, a second of thought to this kind of absurd claim that I think most people laughed off that there is a, a second national anthem. And, and with regard to the argument that some people may be triggered by the national anthem, I, I find that kind of a little bit ridiculous and to be governed by the feelings of people wishing to kind of like see something to latch onto to launch their political grievances uh, is a problem. I mean, what's next? You know, this is how it works. You got Trader Joe's under fire. I mean, who would have thought Trader Joe's would be one of the toughest people standing up to cancel culture? Don't know if you saw, but you know, uh, I didn't. They were trying to get them to they had some of these like uh, uh, cute names for some of their products from different regions of the world. Like they had an Italian name like Trader Gelati's for Giolotti's for uh you know, pasta, Trader okay. Ming's for Chinese food. And people tried to cancel them over it. And Trader Joe said, no, this is just like a cute way to honor different cuisines that, that we're offering. So it's a weird world, man, when you yeah. got Trader Joe's being a lot tougher and standing up for, for these concepts than, you know, the NBA. It's not apples to apples, but it just shows who really has spine in this regard. Yeah, I've been thinking about corporate responsibility. And I've, and I've seen, you know, Adam Silver of the NBA has talked about how it's inevitable. Corporations are going to have to take stands on these issues that are, you know, being perpetuated throughout culture. You know, we see, you know, for instance, Black Lives Matter. It's it's all over every single court in the NBA uh, or almost every single court in the NBA. And people are putting it all over their jerseys. They're 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 they are um, basically supporting this organization that um, is Marxist for all intent and purposes. It's on their website. It's all over the place. My question is, is you know, uh, if all corporations, as Adam Silver says, are going to have no choice one day to respond to something, are they ever going to respond to the, say, 260,000 uh, African-American abortions that happen every year? I mean, that's a huge number. Those are lives that are being, you know, terminated before they even have a chance. And what those impact those lives could have if they were given a chance. Is corporate America going to start putting that on the court? What BLM has done in this regard 
is almost genius. They've presented their organization and their movement as this like principle of which no one could disagree with. Uh, you know, that racial equality is important. You won't find any segment in the country that disagrees with that, that isn't shunned by everyone else. Yeah. Like, let's just start there. Everyone agrees in racial equality, despite maybe a few, you know, however many races that are, you know, turned away from society writ large. But then you have underneath that, and what's really, really the bulk of it, the, the entire iceberg as opposed to the tip, are all these political movements, hmm. all these, you know, uh, literally legislative goals that are unrelated to the core cause and ignore a whole lot of other ones. I mean, if you were to say, like, racial equality is a, is a, ver a value that we stand for in the NBA, and they kind of left it there, you would have zero people complaining. It, it, the, if you were even to go as far as say, hey, look, like, we have education problems in our inner cities. Like, we have a problem with, you know, family formation in the inner cities and people staying married. Right. I don't think you get a peep out of anyone. The problem is when you add in all these political arguments that, like, we need to defund the police, <laughs> uh, they're, they're an organ of, you know, white supremacy and exists solely to kind of just, like, kill people and put people in prison, or you say, like, we need to end the nuclear family and all these other things. And that's the real motivations of this political movement. It's a political movement. Right. And so when the NBA slaps, you know, BLM on their court, they're they're approving, you know, all that entire message. And I think the perfect comparison here is if we look back to kind of, you know, early 2000s, uh, you know, the war in Iraq, a lot of leagues had, you know, salute our troops moments. And they did that because it's a value upon which everyone agreed. Whether you were for the war or not, we all agreed, you know, the the, the troops didn't make the decision. They're answering the call. Right. And, and it would be like if then the NBA said, you know, hey, we really like this amendment to the NDAA and also about the AUMF, the authorization of military force. Here's our 10-point solution. <laughs> and, you know, that general there should have gone this place. You know, it's just like the politics and like those those questions I don't think really belong in, in sports. Uh, it's perfectly acceptable to have these like value statements, but uh, getting into politics I, I don't think is, is really good for anyone. I don't think it's good for them. In a recent uh, Daily Signal piece, which I'll link to, um, it was we were discussing the how the NFL has failed to unite America. This was Ken Blackwell, a good friend of Heritage. Um, he said, quote, when captains don't lead – and leaders capitulate. The result is chaos. And that's where the NFL finds itself. Rather than building on and elevating its role in American society as a force for legitimate civic conversation, it panders. Still, as our sports prove about the great country of ours, the land of opportunity extends well past the back of the end zone. It's each of us, the people, who must pick up the pieces and stand for truth. What does the back of the end zone look like for us? Yeah, I mean, that's a great observation, put way better than I can ever put it by uh, Mr. <laughs> Blackwell. So I won't try to <laughs> compete oratorically with him. But I, I'll say that institutions are what, you know, have really bound this country together. A lot of our civil society institutions. The left's long-term agenda has been to hollow those out. This is a, a Marxist plan uh, to hollow out institutions. Whether it be the Boy Scouts, whether it be our churches, look at church going rates, mm. whether it, it, it be fraternities on campus, whether it be colleges, you know, any sort of institution in which people voluntarily associate has been taken over and hollowed out by the left. Now, our first thing that we can do to fight back against this is stop feeding the forces that do this. Mm. Stop contributing right. to, to it. 
I think too often just conservatives will say, you know, like, hey, man, it's happening, but, you know, what can you do? And, you know, you, you go and participate in the organizations, you kind of just bite your tongue in and do it. I think we need to stop, you know, the, there's funding and the amounts of money that, that go into them. Uh, there's there's politics involved. But the first thing is we got to recognize that these institutions now do not serve us in this regard, that, you know, civil society should. And we should, you know, stop supporting the efforts to, you know, basically stomp out conservatism and national unity in this country. So first is stop the damage. Yeah. Uh, second is we need to, you know, do our own. We need to still engage in some civil society activity in which we kind of, you know, can bring together our common people and and, and celebrate certain things that, that we all have in common and, and work together. So I don't think we need to rely on every sort of like mass corporation or, you know, big student, you know, big, big university, if you will, uh, to do that for us. Mm. We need to get out there and do it ourselves. And I think in coronavirus, I, I think if you take one thing away, the, the ability of the you know, American people through self-association to do things like, you know, educational pods hmm. gives me such reassurance that, you know, from the rubble that they left all of our institutions in, like we can rebuild good ones. So you're saying ed by educational pods, just you mean people joining together to educate themselves in a mm -hmm. given community instead of relying on the public schools? Right. Yeah. Right. I, I think these creative solutions to bring people together and work together yeah. is incredible. I mean, in the market of competition for these you know institutions attention. You know, we, we got to fight back a little bit. Yeah. And we also got to keep pounding the message. Never accept the narrative that there's something wrong with the national anthem. Right. Don't accept these core premises, which they try to, you know, shove down your throat in all of these, you know, broadcasts of NBA games. I mean, mm. they are a political – view them as a political ad commercial, mm. you know. Um, and, and so – just don't give up and you got to keep on fighting and you got to keep talking to people. They want to scare us into silence. I mean, yeah. I can't tell you how many conversations I've been in where I've been the skunk at the garden party where someone, you know, you know, throws out some sort of what they think is a benign statement that they've heard parroted on Twitter. And I you know, say, well, actually, you know, I, I stand for this type of deal. And then you get a bunch of groans, but then you get a couple like a, a dude or a girl in the corner, and like not in there, like. Thank God someone said it. That's one of the things about the Heritage Foundation people that I love in, engaging with and seeing all the comments that are left on, on our wall and, and how they engage on social media with us. I mean, Heritage listeners are fearless. They really are. Um, supporters are just fearless about how much they love this country and how much they don't want to sing. So, you know, I think that's a, it's a good um, a good reminder as to the impact that we can have when we're united in this. So, anyway, Mike, this has been so great, and and I hope that we can uh, get back to going to sporting events soon. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. Otherwise, we're just going to have to keep watching on TV. But but man, thank you so much for being here. Hey, love love being here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Heritage Explains. As always, don't forget to head over to the show notes if you're interested in learning more. I've linked to a couple articles that help shape this episode with Mike. Also, if you have a second, don't forget to leave us a comment or better yet, a five-star rating or just send us an email. Let us know how you're doing. Let us know what you like about the show or what you might want to see changed about the show. You can do that by emailing managingeditor at heritage.org. That's managingeditor at heritage.org. We love to hear from you. Michelle's up next week. We'll see you then and be well. Heritage Explains is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is produced by Michelle Cordero and Tim Desher with editing by John Pop.